Well, it's great to have you guys here and uh, great to be walking through this series in Romans 12 through 16. This, uh, this past week, uh, John and I were out of town for a little bit. We went out to Indiana to Taylor. That's where uh, our daughter Megan is at. She's attending college there now. And so we were at a parent weekend there uh, over Thursday, Friday and Saturday. And it was great to talk with her. Great to hear all that's going on in her life and, you know, the education and the love of learning and the, and the social and the Maybe I should switch the order and the social and the love of learning and right. She's having a blast. She's having a blast with a blast making friends out there and connecting with people and, and uh, just loving the school and environment there. And it was a sweet opportunity for us to sit down and, and uh, talk with her and others of her friends. We did a lunch with one set of friends and a dinner with another set of friends and, and uh, just being able to hear these girls as they're wrestling through that next step in life question. Like, so what's, what's the purpose of my life and what am I to be doing and what should my major be and which guy should I marry? And, and uh, we had no information in that area whatsoever, just so you know. And, uh, but it was good to be able to sit and chat with them and just hear their stories. And they're all coming from such different areas and maybe going after different areas as well. But God doing such a big thing, living your life on purpose. And just so you know, that's what we're looking at today. Romans 15, 1 through 13 here, living our lives on purpose. It's a tie together. It's putting his arms back around chapters 12, 13, and 14, kind of all together. And chapter 12 was like, love one another, man, and outdo one another in showing honor. And and 13, living well underneath leadership, letting God lead you as you follow well, Romans 13. And then Romans 14, caring for those around you in the gray areas of life, being wise to what you go and invest in and wise in things you stay away from based on whether you're stronger or weaker. And all of that kind of getting wrapped together as we jump into Romans 15, living life on purpose. All right. So turn with me, if you will, to Romans 15, starting in verse one. We got ushers coming forward. They've got Bibles in their hands. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you there. All right. Romans 15, verse 1 is where we'll be starting. Our, what is the first point of living life on purpose? Uh, sacrifice. Live to please Christ and others, not self. Sacrifice. Live to please Christ and others, not self. So we start in verse 1 here. He says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Remember, this is Paul writing this, the Apostle Paul, and he's starting out, we who are strong. You can hear in the word we, he's including himself, right? Like he considers himself to be one of the stronger. And what does that mean? We'll get to that in just a second and redefine that. But we who are strong, well, we have an obligation, responsibility. We need to step up to this. This is what we're called to do. There's no shirking this. Have I said it in enough ways? We have an obligation, all right? This is not just a suggestive little moment. This is something we need to go after. Those who consider themselves as strong to bear with the failings of the weak. Okay, so now we've had the word strong and the word weak. What are we talking about? So let's go back a little bit. Remember over the last two weeks in Romans 14, we've been talking about the stronger and the weaker. And there were four different name groups or categories we talked about. The first was the selfish, right? The one who's like... There is freedom in Christ and there, we can do anything and then we can celebrate it and we can enjoy him and love him. And, and so I'm just going to do whatever I want to do now. 
And uh, all of a sudden it's done with Christ and it's done with others. It's just on with me. And we start living this very selfish freedom out. And uh, so that's the first, the selfish. The next one, the strong. And that's one of the words we see in 14 and early 15 here, the strong. This is one who honors God and thanks God. Honors and thanks. Like making much of God, worshiping him, celebrating him, honoring and thanking in the freedom that they have. Being able to celebrate the freedoms, knowing that Christ has sacrificed his all. He has fulfilled the law. And so now there is massive freedom to be able to go after. And, uh, and they love him and they love celebrating him in that. And then there's the weak, right? So that's next to the strong. Also honoring and thanking God, just like the stronger, both of them worshiping God, honoring and thanking God in the limitations they live. Like I saw Christ sacrifice for me and I'm still not good with some of that freedom stuff. And there's things I lived out beforehand in my life and I just feel like I'm in wrong if I don't. And so there's a little bit of narrowing that goes on and not that it's required through an objective rule, but because of where their heart is, they narrow it up a little bit and they're in a good spot with God, honoring and thanking him. That's the stronger and the weaker, both doing that. And then the last one is the legalist, right? This is the guy who's like, I limit it because it makes me awesome. And I'm awesome and you better do what I do or you're not good with God. In fact, I'm not even sure you're saved. And then you're like, well, are you being dragged along? Like if I do this, are you wanting to do it with me? And he's like, oh no, I am nowhere near tempted to do that thing, right? That's the legalist judging, attacking, not really the weak part of it, of being drawn towards it. They know exactly what they want to limit and they want to limit your life too. And everybody say that's not who we're talking about here. It's not the legalist. It's not the selfish. It's the stronger and the weaker. It's the guys who are trying to figure out how to live life, maybe in the freedoms, maybe in giving up some of the freedoms, but always honoring and thanking God. Your worship is on fire, the stronger and the weaker, okay? That's who we're talking about here. And Paul's like, hey, some of us are strong and some are weak. Notice he even says, bear with the failings of the weak. Like there is a misunderstanding of who Christ is, and that is a part of why the limiting is going on. But Paul's like, if that's where you are, please live that out right now. Like in due time, that might grow and shape. But if that's where you are, then please, in good conscience, live that way. And so that means the stronger bears with. How many times have we seen a stronger guy talking to a weaker guy? And they're like, dude, you're just wrong. You're allowed to do that. And you come on. And like you call them in and, and that's not bearing with them. That's asking them to bear with you. And that's not what he's calling us to do. He's saying, please be careful in your freedom. Don't be dragging someone down in it. In fact, he goes one step further. He says, not to please ourselves. Hearing it? Like the moment you start making your freedom all about you and you're not going to give it up and how dare you ask me to give it up, we're moving from stronger to selfish. Right? We're switching over and like, it's going to be about me and it's going to be about my freedom and, and now we got a problem. Okay. And so he's kind of reiterating a lot of what Romans 14 already said that we went over the last two weeks. If you weren't with us, you may want to check those out as we walked more through like what gray areas and how does that work and what are some things I should do with it? Uh, we won't go back into that now, but he's saying, please be careful, bear with. Not separate from, not be bothered by, right? Bear with them and I'll work with them. And if they have some weaknesses, well, Praise God, you're going to be there with them and love on them and you might be giving up some freedom to help them out, all right? 
It says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. Right. So we're working with them so that they can have a sense of pleasure going on. What does it mean to please him? And we have to be very careful here. Okay. What it does not mean. Everybody say it does not mean. What it does not mean is in all things everywhere, make sure you're just trying to get them happy. That's not what he's talking about. Let's stay in context. So in context here, what we're looking at is the stronger and the weaker, the freedoms that we have in Christ or the narrowing of those freedoms. If we have a little bit of weakness going on and he's like, please be careful that you don't drag them towards you and your freedom. And all of a sudden they're having a temptation because of you. Please them instead. Live their life. Live it a little narrowly with them and celebrate the way they would celebrate and make much of God. It's still in alignment with him in the, in the way they're executing. Like that's what he's talking about here. Staying in the context of the stronger and the weaker. Don't drag them into the temptation of trying to live life your way. Please be careful. All right. And uh, please him. It says to build him up. To build him up. Like it's for his faith and his strength. And as you're patient over time, you might see him begin to learn of why you think certain things are allowed to be gone after as a freedom and why that's covered by Christ and what it means to be fulfilled. And, and there's training that can happen, but please be patient and be careful, right? And uh, so here's the problem. Have you ever heard the phrase people pleaser? Heard that phrase? Okay. And then we see this, please them. Like, oh. Scripture's asking me to be a people pleaser? No, not at all, right? And so what's the difference? Well, a people pleaser is like, I don't even care what Christ thinks. See, see, what I'm most concerned about is, what do, what do you think? Like, I got to know that you like me. And I'm not even worried about God right now. I'm worried about us. And I'm willing to give up anything. I got to have you like me. And I'll sacrifice it all if I have to. What do you want to do? Anything, man, I'll do it. And that's people pleasing. Right? And so how do we prevent people pleasing? Well, first and foremost, you've got to make sure you're pleasing Christ first. Christ first. Then looking to work towards the help of the other. All right? If it's against who Christ is and what he's standing for, trust me, that isn't where he wants you walking. Okay? So that's the first little simple thing. And you're like, yeah, all right. I think I got it. All right, here we go. Top five signs we may have gone too far and gotten into people pleasing. If we're supposed to be pleasing others, how do I know I don't get to people pleasing? Here we go. Number one, top five signs that we're into people pleasing. First one is minimal time with Christ. Like, I don't know about that daily thing, getting in the word and the praying always thing. I barely understand that. Can't do anything always. I thought you were never supposed to say never and always. And right. So we start making all these little logic arguments of why we're not going to have time with Christ today and, and this week. And uh, you know what? I do an hour a week on Sundays. Usually like that's my goal. And, and, and so as I go after that, well, I think I'm okay. And the problem is we start drifting in our understanding of who Christ is and what he stands for. And our minimal time with Christ allows us to all of a sudden start shifting priorities. And we start listening to the voices we're spending the time with. And be careful. And you might be hearing a ton of words in your ear that you need to be listening less to. And getting more with your God. 
man, it is time for us to set a priority of getting alone with him. Time to be alone in his word, time to be rocked by what God has to say. It is time to take on the challenge of life with Christ. All right. First indicator of uh, tipping towards people pleasing is, well, not a whole lot of time with Christ. Number two, uh, you can't say no. No matter what they ask, the answer is yes. Hey, can you come over and wash my car with me? Sure. Yeah, sure. Hey, can you come uh, get groceries for me? Sure. And I don't have any money. Will you buy it for me? <laughs> sure. And uh, will you watch my kids for three days? And uh, sure. And just so you know, sometimes that's a good thing. We, we were gone this week and we needed one of our children watched and we appreciate that. And there is people who can jump in and be helpful and, and it's okay to say yes to things at times and right. But let's be careful. If the answer is always yes, we got something going on. If I can't say no, something in you is like, don't say no. You know, they're not going to be happy with you. If be careful, you've tipped into people pleasing. And so minimal time with Christ. Uh, can't say no. Uh, third one. Uh, your resentment builds as you're feeling trapped, right? Every time you say yes, and you wanted to say no, and you just start feeling it lean on you and you're like, Oh, Hey, do you want to come over to my house and help me with the basement? I'm trying to fix some things up and sure. Oh, why did I just say that? That guy always asks me for favors. I never had a, I don't know what to say. And right. And you start feeling this resentment inside. And some of you are like, oh, I so know what he means. Right. And others of you are looking around like, really? Why don't you just say no? And, uh, the difference in people, uh, five signs of people pleasing first, the minimal time with Christ. Second, can't say no. Third resentment that's building, uh, fourth, privately despising, publicly supporting. Privately despising, publicly supporting. This building resentment all of a sudden starts to take its toll on your entire attitude. And when they ask you something or when they're talking with you or when they tell a joke or whatever, and you're like, yeah, right. Hey, good to see you, man. Oh, I can't stand being with that guy. Like you feel the weight as soon as you walk away. And when you're with them, you just can't. So you got to fake. And, and now all of a sudden you're living really two very different faces of life. One with them in their presence and one when their back is turned. And uh, be careful, good indicator, you're living a people-pleasing life. And you're not just living out the clarity of what you need to be and do with them. And uh, number five, uh, finally, it explodes. And usually on a small difference. Uh, usually you won't explode on the big thing because that would mean you have to address the real thing. So you're going to explode on the small thing. And they're like, hey, you want to go to a movie? And you're like, you always do stuff like this. And they're like, dude, I was just asking you to go out. If you wanted to go see me, I said, I don't, I, don't you understand what you, and you're like, I can't clearly tell you why I'm, and they say, do you have a problem with movies? What are you saying? Right? And there's this total miscommunication going on as you can't connect. Why? Because you've exploded on a thing that's not the thing because you can't talk about that thing because you're trying to please them at the same time. And so the explosion that comes out, all of a sudden it sort of brings a weight off though. Have you noticed this? Now you explode and you're like, oh, feel a little better. 
So now we go back to the top and we start people pleasing again and we start saying yes, yes, yes and building resentment and then we're getting angry and then we talk behind their back and then we blow on them finally. And let's be careful. And uh, people pleasing, man, that's not where we need to be. That's a plan that sets up somehow trying to make the relationship between you and the person where they trust in you. And hear me on this one now. The problem is you're always saying yes. Why? Well, because in effect, you're trying to replace God himself. There's actually only one person that can always be with everyone always and say yes and mean it. And that's God himself. God alone can say yes to everyone and always be there and be in the moment. Not you, God. It's okay for you to have some calendar and some things going on and some times where you need to say, I'm sorry, I love you, I just can't make that. And that's okay. Be considering what's going on with your family or what's going on with work or whatever, all right? Be working things through and be careful. This is not a call to people pleasing. Everybody say, it's not that. Clear enough? This is a call to say, please them, meaning you're not going to drag them into sin and have them expressing a freedom that they're uncomfortable with. Instead, you're going to let them live out life celebratory of their God, maybe even a little bit narrower in that sense. All right, that's what it's talking about. Okay. Seems like a big deal to talk through. We got a lot of people that wrestle with it. I thought I should camp out there a bit. So uh, why? Why in the world does this matter? Why should we respond where we please them? Why should we care for them? Here we go. Verse three, four, Christ did not please himself. Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, uh, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. This comes from Psalm 69, 9. And Paul's quoting out a passage here where he's like, get this. Why am I asking you to care for those around you? Because that's who Christ is. The reproaches of those who reproached you, meaning, listen, Christ took nasty words said to him. People spitting on him that was meant for you, spitting on him. Whipping that hit him instead of you nail spikes going into him instead of you the hatred of man against us and against sin and it gets turned on him and he takes on him the punishment of sin and the punishment of our rebellion against god and yes christ almighty him for me his reproach was my reproach And the wrath of God poured out there on him. How could he do such a thing? And the hope of Christianity in three words, him for me. It's that simple. Gospel deep. Him for me. That simple. Three words. What are the words? Why go after it? Because that's who our Savior is. And that's how he lived it out. Him for me. Man, we have a privilege of knowing the Almighty King. And uh, notice what he says now about the words that were quoted of him. These words of reproach. He says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction and through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. You hearing this? He's quoting an Old Testament passage and he says, Know this, that stuff is written for a reason. Man, don't skip on the Old Testament in your reading. Don't skip on knowing some of who God is as you work through the Psalms. Listen to who he is. Listen to what he has to say. A couple of things that it says he's got there for you. Instruction. 
and endurance and encouragement, like instruction. So you understand better how things are placed and how they work and who God is and what he's trying to accomplish. Instruction so that we get a better view of what God's meaning and doing. Instruction. We get that from the word. And then he says after that, endurance. This is where you literally are gaining strength to get through something you never could do on your own. Perspective that you're gaining about your God and his work in your life and the struggle that you're having. And as you're wrestling through this situation that God has for you, and I don't know what it is, but we got a lot of people in this room with a myriad of different things going on. And God has words for you from scripture and the Holy Spirit speaking that can build into you an endurance in the midst of the struggle, getting through it in a way where God can make an impact and literally carry you to new levels that you could not imagine on your own endurance. And then he says after it, an encouragement, encouragement. Literally lifting up your spirits and sharing with you the plan that he has of hope and the challenge that comes, right? Encouragement. And uh, What I love about these words, instruction and endurance and encouragement, like we do biblical counseling around here and we've got a handful of us that counsel on staff and some lay leaders that assist and as they partner alongside, there's a couple of things they come in and challenge with and one of them is instruction, like the word of God and the truth of God's word and what we need to understand. And we inform the uninformed, helping to see through God's word what is being said. And, and the other is uh, encouragement, coming alongside of somebody devastated and saying, this is who your God is, man. This is what he's promising. This is what he's trying to accomplish. Can you see where he's taking you next? Your God has big things in store and we're excited to be praying with you on it. And encouragement. And then the third part of biblical counseling is admonishing, standing against the rebel, the rebellion, and saying, bro, not there. That's got to change. And that's biblical counseling. That's what we're going after. God's word on fire in your life. And some of you might be like, yeah, I don't know what that's like. Here's my request. Time to take a little time and camp out with God's word. Time to let his word pour over you, maybe in ways you never have before. Maybe you're reading too much. Maybe you're taking on chapters upon chapters and pouring over it. And by the end of it, you're like, I don't know. I don't know what I was supposed to get out of that, right? Maybe you need to just go like bold heading to bold heading. You know what I'm talking about? Like in a lot of your Bibles, there's the bold and the summary of what it's about there. And just stay in that one section. Read it through several times over. Make notes about who your God is in that section. What is he doing? What is he calling out? Being able to rephrase that into your own words and say, this is what my God's promising me. Man, I'm telling you, take time not to just hear me now. Not to do devotions. Right? A word we've heard before and we're like set aside and it doesn't work for me and I'm bored when I even hear the word. And, and uh, please, it's about taking time with the king of the universe who knows everything, who can do anything. He's got some thoughts about what's going on in your life and he's got a way to call you through that he might be glorified. And as you open up your word, you're like, I'm coming expectantly, God. I'm ready to meet you here. What do you have to teach me? His word. 
brings instruction and endurance and encouragement. And do you believe that? Do you believe that you can get that out of his word? And it's not you mining alone. It's his spirit speaking with you. It's you taking time, get the sin confessed out and spend a little time camped out and watch God rock you. I'm telling you, there is no cheerleader like him. And uh, I just, I told this story at the first service. It's a terrible illustration, but I'm using it anyway. So we were at Taylor this weekend and uh, there's a high school team in the area there around Taylor University that has lost so many games recently that they've dropped over 400 spots in the rankings nationally. And uh, they're getting destroyed in these games. So the word went out across Taylor University. Everybody's got to go to this football game, man. We're cheering this team on. They're going to win. And they're sending it out. Come on, man. They need some people in the stands. And so a bunch of the kids got all dressed up in the colors. And the guys had the letters written on their chest and taking their their shirt off on the, you know, and it's like 32 degrees and raining. And they're like, yeah. And, uh. They're in there in the football game cheering them on with all they got. By halftime, it was 42 zip. They were down. So man's cheering doesn't necessarily get it done. Okay? This is God coming alongside of you and encouraging you with all he's got. And I'm telling you, God's encouragement. Have you ever seen a cheerleader like in the middle of cheerleading where they're like, okay, they're doing terrible. Change it. Here we go. Nude one. You stink. You can't do anything. Have you ever seen that? That person's not cheerleading for long, right? They're like, you're fired. And uh, that's not God. How often do we feel like when we're picking something up that we're getting that kind of cheerlead from God? You're not listening to your king. You're hearing words from the other side. You're hearing accusation. You're hearing downplay. Your God's coming alongside of you and saying, I'm here to build endurance. And I'm here to give you encouragement. And I'm telling you, I am going to unleash in you Something you may have never tasted before. Get ready. That's your God, man. And where do we get it? In his word. May we never walk past his word and lose track of what our God is doing and saying in our lives. And all of God's people said, good spot for an amen. He says, uh, Huge opportunity for us to understand his word, endurance and encouragement of the scriptures that we might have hope, that we might have hope. And I've said this before, I'll say it again, hope. It's not like America uses it. Oh, I hope so. That's lame. All right. It's not that kind of hope. It's hope. Like there is an absolute conviction that this will be true. This is who my God is. This is what he's accomplishing. It is absolutely fact. And I'm counting on him. Counting on what my God will bring true. I have a God who has saved me. He is restoring me. He is building for eternity. And man, we can have life with him. Hope. That's what God's building into our lives. We have an awesome privilege of hoping in our God as we spend time with him. And time with his word. And a huge privilege. Illustration. Martin Luther King Jr. Renowned speaker and a motivator. Uh, he was a civil rights activist in the 60s. And did a ton to try to call out change in this nation. And uh, he was talking one day about uh, the Good Samaritan. 
Okay, you know the story of the guy who's sick on the side of the road, beat up and laying there, and and you got the Levite and the priest. They walk by and they're like, "Uh, not going to help him." They walk around the other side, but the good Samaritan stops and takes care of him, right? And so here's his talk. He says, "The first question which the priest and the Levite asked, you know, the guys that blew off the hurting person, the first question asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me?" But the good Samaritan reversed this question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That's the question. That's how we go after sacrifice. It's not looking at it and saying, oh, but if I do, what's going to happen to me? Instead, it's going after it saying, Lord, what could happen with them? How do you want me participating in their life and caring in their life that you could be made much of, that glory could be given to you, that they could be helped out? I can't wait to see what you're going to do. The simple question, if I don't step in, man, what could happen to them? Care, sacrifice, and love. It starts with a vertical relationship and knowing your Christ and all that he's done for you as he took his, uh, the reproach of you on him. And then next, Lord, fill me to the rim. I'm ready to go care for those around me. What do you have in store? I cannot wait to see what you do. Sacrifice. Simple question. How are you doing with sacrifice? Are you ready to lean on and take care of those around you? Are you ready to make an impact in the lives of those around you? Because God's doing something huge in your life and you can't wait to share it with the one next to you. Sacrifice. All right, second, unity. With one voice, glorify our God. With one voice, glorify our God. He starts out here, he says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony. You hearing that? The God of endurance and encouragement. Have you heard those words before? He just got done describing the word as that, right? The word brings endurance and encouragement. Well, the God that wrote those words is a God of endurance and encouragement. I'm telling you, the word of God provides something because it absolutely represents who our God is. His character, his passion, his delivery into your life. And uh, lean on him and trust in him. It's about a relationship with him that will rock your world. And it says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Live in harmony. You know that word? It's like music that actually fits together. Not music that like, it's weird and dissonant to your ear and it doesn't match. But somehow it's not the same note, it's another note. But the two together ring true. Harmony. He's not saying every single one of us is exactly the same cookie cutter. But he is saying, when you are with me in one accord, I'm telling you, you may be playing a note, somebody else is playing a note. They will play out in perfect harmony. There is a body at large here. And we together serve him, right? Romans 12 again. And this one body with many, many, many gifts and parts, many passions, all of us together, when we beat to the drum of our Savior Jesus Christ, we have one thing true. There is harmony. There is togetherness and connectedness. There is something being said about our God as we live well with each other. Unity and harmony. And uh, 
He says here, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. In accord with Christ Jesus. Simple analogy, picture the triangle. And you're on one point of the triangle and your, your family member, your spouse, your friend is on another point, Christ at the top. And at the moment that you move more towards Christ and they move more towards Christ, you are closer to each other. There is unity that occurs as you move towards your Savior and they move towards their Savior. Oneness, as we come in one accord with Christ, we are beating to the tuning fork of Jesus Christ. And because of that, there is oneness. This is not one big giant humanitarian club. Please, not a club. This is about a Savior and a King who's got a plan and he's making a difference in each of our lives. And there's huge things happening because of our God. And uh, we have a privilege to be able to see that happen in each of our lives. He says here at the end um, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many voices? One voice, like a choir, singing it out, booming forth, single message, one voice, one answer. And a sweet moment, sweet privilege to be able to be a part of it. He says, therefore, and when we see the therefore, we say, so if all these things are true about Christ and all that we're called to be and do, what? how does this act in the church body? Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another. Like, say, hey. It's not that deep, man. It's like, say hello, chit-chat a little bit, catch their name, shake a hand. Like, why do you guys have greeters at the door? Welcome one another, right? Why do you guys take this point in the service where you stop and you turn to each other and you greet one another and maybe ask a name or, hey, what's going on? Or, you know, hey, you're sitting in the wrong row. You're usually back one row. What are you doing here, right? Whatever's, whatever the little chit-chat you're having and what, welcome one another. And I got to tell you, this body does a great job in general of welcoming and reaching out, of caring for the people around them. Do you know we have between 50 and 100 visitors a week that visit here? 50 and 100 visitors a week. So please don't walk in going, well, everybody's pretty much here. It's time for us to look around and care for those around us. All right. It's time to say hello. You may need to meet a new face and uh, you may need to say something to them. Say hello to them. You might need to greet them and you might need to try to remember their name. If you're the one who forgets names, write it on your palm. Try to remember names, man. It goes a long way in being loving and caring. I'm telling you, just do a little bit to reach out for those around you. Some of you are like, I've been here a lot and nobody's saying hey to me. This church isn't very welcoming. And uh, look, I don't know every single story and I have to be careful. And so um, I can apologize if that's happening. Um, but I ask you this too. Please be a little careful. Maybe go check yourself in the mirror. If you have a face that looks like this, <laughs> you might have found the secret. Like there's people are trying not to disrupt you as well. And if your whole facial expression is like, I dare you to say hello, right? It might be setting some things up to go a wrong direction. So seriously, you have to have a receiving heart, a willingness to be greeted. And we need to be reaching out and greeting. And, and man, if you've been here for several weeks or more, welcome to it. You're part of the culture. It's time for us to be reaching out and caring for those around us. And all of God's people said, for the glory of God. Did you know that you can welcome for the wrong reasons? Did you know that? And uh, I just wrote this, top three wrong reasons we welcome. 
Number one, the word should. Just because I had to. I don't care about them. I don't care about anything. But I've been, I have this sense of should. I have this knife in my back. And because of it, I guess out of guilt, I'm going to go over and say, hey, and have you ever noticed that a knife in the back truly does move behavior for the moment, right? You want that point off your back. And the word should is a knife in the back. It makes us step forward and do something. But it's all about the opportunity and privilege we have in front of us. Man, as we reach out and care for those around us, we literally get to see lives transformed. Praise be to God. Huge privilege and opportunity. And uh, don't do it because of the word should, but because of could. What's God doing in this place and what could be taking place? And uh, another one, uh, showing off. Maybe it's to show you off. Look how many people I know. Or maybe it's to show the church off. I want this church to be made much of. Please hear me. In a sense, I see the, the, the attempt of what you're going after, but be careful. There's actually a lot wrong with that. We are not showing off this church. We are showing off our Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, not this church, Christ himself. And we better be careful on that one. Always back to the king. Always back to the king. As soon as you start making it about the church or the church name, you are building club, man. We are headed the wrong direction. That's a wrong motivation. All right. Third, uh, size. I think big is better. I just want to see a lot of people. It seems to confirm to me that something uh, um, is good about big. And so I'm going with size. And please hear me. We are not about a quantity of disciples, but a quality of discipleship. We are going to be going after hardcore, passionate pursuit of you on fire for Jesus Christ. You going after him with all you've got. And as you are discipled, as you are actually making disciples of others, as you are passionate about your king, well, that is contagious. And numbers do come from that. That's not going to be apologized for, all right? We're great if the numbers come on the side of it, but it is not the goal. If this is the size we are for the rest of our life here, praise be to God. My job is to make sure you're on fire for him. And all of God's people said, we got to get these down, man. You build church for all the wrong reasons and it goes south fast. May Christ be made much of. It's because of the could of what can happen in the person's life next to them. Lord, what could happen with them? I can't wait for them to meet you and be worshiping here. And and, and it's not to show you off or show this church off. I want my Savior shown off. I want much made of him. And Lord, whatever you bring is who you bring. Praise be to God. Now that's building a church. May we welcome passionately, pursue massively our king. That's what it looks like. All right, with one voice in all unity glorifying him. No better illustration than last week's uh, baptisms. I love those baptisms. Man, if you weren't here last week, if you missed out, go online, check out our 9 a.m. and our 11 a.m. baptisms on fire testimonies, just constantly hearing people celebrating their God and saying, I want to be baptized because I want to let people know that I love Jesus Christ. I want to be baptized because I want to let people know I'm following him. I want to be baptized because I'm obeying my Savior. He's in charge. And one voice, one message, one massive celebration that God might get the glory. That's what it looks like. And, and if you missed out, check it out. If you were here for one of them and you missed the other, man, go online and check the other service out. Such a blessing to hear the testimonies that come off of that. 
And a huge deal, as in unity, we glorify our God together. A huge statement is this church, each of us saying these words, I will worship Jesus Christ. I believe he is God of the universe. I am in with who he is. I am on with where he's going. May he be glorified. I am passionate about what he's doing. God is changing my life and I want people to know it. Praise be to God. Man, this church starts talking that way. This place goes on fire for Christ. I love what you guys are already doing. I love what we got going on. Keep stoking the fire. May your God be made number one. That's what it looks like. And uh, last week was a sweet moment. I told you guys in the 11 o'clock, but um, at the 9 o'clock service, the baptisms were going on, and one of the girls that was giving the testimony just said, you know what, um, Jesus, uh, I didn't know what it meant to have a relationship with him. Now I do. And uh, I, I didn't get it for a long time and I stayed away from it. It seemed weird to me. And, and now she started describing what to have a relationship with Christ meant to be on fire for Christ and what that meant. And, and I had a girl come up to me between services that said, um, I don't have that. What is that that she's talking about? And we started walking it through and, and making clear what it was. And I, I had to take on the 11 o'clock baptism. So I called my wife over and she met with her. And the two of them talked for a few minutes and she accepted Christ right there. Jesus Christ glorified as someone comes to trust Christ in him. Hear me on this one. This church had one voice. This church had one message. Jesus Christ and he will be glorified. And I'm following after him. And someone's like... I need some of that. What does that mean? And I can't wait to have that. And she put her faith in Christ in between services. Praise be to God. Man, keep following after him. Keep your message strong and keep the clarity of who you're after with all you've got. May Jesus Christ be glorified. And all of God's people said, that's what we're talking about. Sacrifice, unity. And third, rejoice. We as Gentiles are called to praise our God of hope and mercy. Rejoice. We as Gentiles are called to praise our God of hope and mercy. And uh, this is actually going to move pretty fast as a couple of quotes from the Old Testament as Paul's like, hey, let me just make clear that what's going on with us as Gentiles. Did you know that? Like if you're not 100% Jewish, welcome to being a Gentile. Okay. It basically means not a Jew, not one of them. All right. That's what it meant, and it actually was a very derogatory statement at the time, like Gentile, right? And God's doing something huge with the Gentiles, and he says here, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's to the Jews. He came to this earth, he was born as a Jew, he was a servant to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to, purpose statement, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Abraham was told, the nations will be blessed through you. And they're like, how? How can that be? And and the promises through the patriarchs of all that God would do to the world and uh, the mystery of Jesus Christ revealed. Through him, that faith in him, we can have life in him. And every tribe, tongue, and nation having representatives that will follow him and worship him, may God get all the glory. And uh, it says... 
that God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that second part of the purpose statement that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. You and I have a job to do. Glorify him with all we've got. His mercy, his forgiveness of our sin, his work on the cross giving us something we do not deserve, making much of our God. We must rejoice. We must celebrate and worship and tell of him. And uh, so here we go. A few verses. It says, Psalm, uh, uh, Psalm 18, 49. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Like in those people that didn't know you at all, I'm going to end up singing your name out loud. And uh, it says in another one, Deuteronomy 32, 43 here, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Like the collection of non-Jews and Jews somehow coming together, there's going to be this massive voice of celebration that Jesus Christ is awesome, that God has everything. And um, the next one here, Psalm 117, verse 1, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples extol him. There is a calling in the Old Testament that Jew and Gentile will be worshiping and celebrating God. The mystery of Jesus Christ was not understood, but it was so understood that God had this thing in hand and from every tribe, tongue, and nation, there will be worshipers. And um, it says next, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. We have hope in Jesus Christ. We have a longing for him and his rule. We can make much of him. Please hear me on this. It is so easy to hear all this talk about Jesus and put it in a little box on the corner and then we live the rest of life. Like, yeah, that's great. And then we got to talk about lunch and then we got to talk about work and family, football. And, and then there's Jesus in the corner over here. And be careful. Our job in rejoicing is to interweave these things of life together that throughout your day, throughout every day in every way, you are making much of your king in the middle of it. In the middle of football? Figure it out, dude. Somehow, yes. Even when the bears are getting killed. Figure it out. I'm telling you, you can relax in this world and enjoy. You can celebrate your God and there's nothing wrong with having a good time. Never set your Christ on the side like he's a sideshow thing to be done on a Sunday morning. Time to interweave him into the middle of everything you do in life that you might make much of your God. And all of God's people said, rejoice in him with all you've got. It says at the end here, may the God of hope fill you, not partial, not some, all the way to the top filled Fill you with all joy and peace. All joy and peace. I just wrote these words. Remember the word peace. We defined it calm in the midst of a storm. Peace. Often we want to define it as no storm. That's a miss. Calm in the midst of a storm. Peace. And uh, joy. Celebration despite the waves of disappointment. Celebration despite the waves of disappointment. It is not circumstantially dependent because you are leaning on your king and he has eternity in hand. Peace and joy and you filled to the rim and making much of your God. It says in the end, um, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit, 
2 Corinthians chapter 3, 16 to 18, the presence of the Spirit, the glory of the Spirit pouring over you is what changes you from one degree of glory to the next. You do not change yourself. Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, that's where the change is at. If you are not spending much time worshiping, if you are spending minimal time with him, you are spending minimal time in the power that changes your life. You're missing it. The Holy Spirit, his power pouring over you, that's where you're going to get the change from. And uh, notice this in the end, the end result of that power, that you may abound in hope. An absolute confidence in what's coming tomorrow. Hear me on this. This is our job. To simply state, I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he is the God of the universe. I understand that he has everything in hand. I believe. I believe that there is God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. I'm trusting in them. And that God is going to rock my life. I believe. I believe that this word brings instruction. That this word brings endurance and encouragement. And I will not relent. I believe. I'm going after my God with all I've got. I'm trusting in him with all I have. And my God will get the glory. When this church rallies to that one cry, God will be glorified. And all of God's people said, that's what it looks like. Amen. Man, I love this passage. This is power and simplicity. Sacrifice, unity, and glorify his name through rejoicing that God might be lifted up. That's what we need to go after every day of our lives. Don't ever go for the short-changed, cheap, lame side replacement. You go after your king. You will never be dissatisfied. Let's pray.